Hello out there and welcome back to the Washington University Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast, August 2018. Thank you guys for listening in. This month's topic was BNP, that's B-N as in Nancy, peptide, in the evaluation of patients with syncope in the emergency department. I think syncope can be one of those hair-raising chief complaints. Most patients who come in after passing out are fine. They've had a vasovagal episode or orthostasis or something. They're going to be fine no matter what you do. But there are those select few patients that have had cardiogenic syncope, arrhythmias, MIs, PEs, severe anemia, GI bleeds, all of those things, the things that scare us. Now, some of those are easier to find. I can stick a finger in someone's bottom and find it if they have a GI bleed. I can check their blood counts to make sure they're not anemic. I can check cardiac enzymes to make sure they haven't had an MI. But there's still those patients who've had something serious that caused them to pass out that puts them at high risk of bad outcomes. And I have trouble identifying those patients a lot of the time. In the past, we've had several different clinical decision rules that have come along to try and help us out here, help us identify those at-risk patients. Probably the most popular and most well-known of those was the San Francisco syncope rule. It looked to be our holy grail of syncope evaluation. Unfortunately, when it was validated in outside institutions and other studies, it didn't turn out to be so great. It didn't identify our high-risk patients as well as we would have liked. As a result, we've continued to search for different ways to identify our at-risk patients and to determine who needs to be admitted to the hospital for further evaluation and who can go home. Lots of different things have been looked at. One of the more recent in the last few years has been the BNP. We know that BNP is often elevated in patients with acute heart failure, but it's also often elevated in patients with structural heart disease and in patients with certain dysrhythmias. And as a result, it's thought to possibly be helpful in differentiating at least cardiogenic from non-cardiogenic syncope. So we looked at four different studies that evaluated the efficacy of BNP either by itself or as part of a clinical decision rule to differentiate at-risk patients with syncope from those patients who can go home. The first of these studies was NT-ProBNP for diagnostic and prognostic evaluation in patients hospitalized for syncope. This came out in the International Journal of Cardiology in 2012. This was a prospective observational study conducted at the University of Cologne in Germany in 2007 and 2008. They enrolled consecutive patients with a diagnosis of syncope who were already admitted to the cardiac unit. Now that's important. These were admitted patients. This wasn't everybody coming into the ER with syncope, including those with vasovagal syncope and orthostasis who were going to be discharged. This is a higher risk population, and there is some risk when you look at a different population like this of introducing spectrum bias, which will affect sensitivity and specificity. Everybody enrolled had an NT-ProBNP measured, and then any additional testing was done at the discretion of the treating physicians. Patients were followed up out to six months by a phone call with the patient or the relatives or the patient's general practitioner. The outcome they were looking at was cardiac syncope, which they defined as patients with either an identified arrhythmia or an identified structural cardiac or cardiopulmonary abnormality that was considered to have caused the syncope. They also looked at the clinical endpoint of all-cause mortality, coronary vascularization, interventional therapy for left ventricular outflow obstruction, urgent administration of antiarrhythmic drugs or electrical cardioversion, or placement of a pacemaker or AICD. 
using a cutoff of 156 picograms per milliliter, NT Pro BNP had a sensitivity of 89.7% and a specificity of 51.8% for diagnosing cardiac syncope. This corresponds to a positive likelihood ratio of 1.86 and a negative likelihood ratio of 0.20. The 95% confidence interval for that negative likelihood ratio was 0.10 to 0.39. NT Pro BNP was additionally associated with the risk of developing one of the adverse outcomes with an odds ratio of 2.08 per standard deviation increase. So analyzing these results, we have a positive likelihood ratio of 1.86, meaning that this test does very little to increase the probability of disease in patients with a positive test. The negative likelihood ratio was 0.20, meaning that it should have a moderate effect on probability of disease in patients with a negative test. The fact that there was this association between NT, Pro, BNP, and adverse event, unfortunately, doesn't tell us clinically what we can do with that information. So I don't think that this study alone, at least, proves that BNP is sufficiently accurate in determining who has and who does not have cardiac cause for their syncope. Based on this study alone, I wouldn't start using it to evaluate our patients. The next study we looked at was fairly similar. This is role of brain natriuretic peptide in risk stratification of adult syncope. This came out in the Emergency Medicine Journal in 2007. This was another prospective observational study, this time conducted in the emergency department of the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh in 2005 and 2006. Consecutive adult patients presenting to the ER for syncope were eligible for inclusion. So this is a much more similar patient population to what we are seeing, at least in our ED. Patients underwent a standardized assessment with multiple predetermined variables on history, physical examination, and electrocardiogram and then patients who were felt to be medium or high risk according to their local guidelines had near patient or bedside BNP testing performed. The investigators used a priori cutoff values of 100 picograms per milliliter and 1,000 picograms per milliliter as abnormal and quote-unquote rule-in values for BNP. Their primary endpoint was a serious outcome at three months, and similar to what they defined as serious outcome in the last study, they used all-cause death, acute MI, life-threatening arrhythmia, implantation of a pacemaker or defibrillator, PE, cerebrovascular accident, intracranial hemorrhage, hemorrhage requiring a blood transfusion of at least two units, or the need for acute surgical procedure or endoscopic intervention secondary to a suspected cause of syncope. They enrolled a total of 99 patients, 44 of those were admitted to the hospital and 55 were discharged home. 11.1% of the patients had one of these serious outcomes. Among 72 patients who actually had a BNP level drawn, the test characteristics of a BNP greater than 100 were a sensitivity of 67%, specificity of 70%, positive likelihood ratio of 2.21, and negative likelihood ratio of 0.48. Based on those results, I would say not a very helpful test. The test characteristics for a BNP greater than 1,000 were a little bit different. Sensitivity, 33%. Specificity, 100%. The positive likelihood ratio, therefore, is infinity, and the negative likelihood ratio was 0.67. So a negative test is fairly useless, doesn't rule anything out. A positive test here, obviously, ruled it in very well. Likelihood ratio of infinity. Unfortunately, there were only three patients in this study with a BNP over 1,000. One of those patients had a troponin of 14. Another of those patients had a massive upper GI bleed. Hopefully, those two patients you would have caught anyway and would have admitted. 
The third patient, it looks like, was sent home, and the cause of death when he came back a few days later in cardiac arrest was unclear. So again, other than using the positive likelihood ratio in those three patients whose BNP was greater than 1,000, the test characteristics of BNP in this study were not very good and not very helpful. Our third study was also quite similar. This is the utility of brain natriuretic peptide assay as a predictor of short-term outcomes in patients presenting with syncope to the emergency department from cardiovascular diagnostic therapy in 2016. This was another prospective cohort study conducted at two tertiary care medical center EDs in New Jersey in 2012 and 2013. They again enrolled adult patients presenting to the ED with syncope. They did not exclude low-risk patients like the last study did. They did exclude patients who were already getting a BNP ordered by the treating clinician. Then BNP levels were checked on all patients who were enrolled, and the treating physicians were blinded to the results. The rest of the treatment and disposition decisions were at the clinician discretion, and they used a cutoff of 250 units for the BNP level. Patients were then followed through the medical record or by telephone call at 30 days after presentation, looking for this primary endpoint of any serious outcome, which was identical to the serious outcomes I listed in the last study. They enrolled 113 patients and found that for the cutoff of 250, BNP had a sensitivity of 48.8%, a specificity of 90.3%, a positive likelihood ratio of 5.02, and a negative likelihood ratio of 0.57. So again, these test characteristics were not great. The positive likelihood ratio here was actually a little bit better, 5. Not too bad. It gives you a moderate increase in the probability of disease if the test is positive. A negative likelihood ratio of 0.57, on the other hand, is pretty useless. does not significantly reduce the risk of disease if the test is negative. Now, before we talk about the fourth year article, I want to play a little bit of a devil's advocate. Now, I don't actually believe that BNP testing is all that helpful in patients with syncope. I don't think it's helpful in diagnosing patients, and I don't think it's useful in making disposition decisions. Having said that, the question that these three studies have asked so far has been basically wrong. The first study came closer. At least they looked at cardiac syncope as an outcome rather than a bunch of different adverse outcomes that are associated with syncope. BNP as a diagnostic test by itself, standing alone, isn't going to be extremely accurate. It's not going to have super high sensitivities and specificities and really good likelihood ratios when the outcomes that you're looking at include things like GI bleeds and need for transfusion and need for endoscopy. BNP has absolutely nothing to do with those things. So I don't expect the diagnostic accuracy to be high when those are the outcomes that you're evaluating. I'll put this another way. Let's say you took all comers to the ER presenting with syncope and looked at the diagnostic accuracy of hematocrit. Take a hematocrit cutoff of whatever you like and look at the diagnostic accuracy of that in terms of determining who has some kind of adverse event down the road. It's going to underperform. It's going to do horribly because it's meant to evaluate the patient for anemia. It's not meant to evaluate the patient for MI, cardiac arrhythmia, aortic stenosis, or other structural cardiac abnormalities. That's not what a CBC or a hematocrit does for us in patients with syncope. We check it because it tells us, is the patient anemic? And if the patient's severely anemic, it's quite likely that that's the cause of their syncope. So you wouldn't look at a CBC in isolation in terms of its accuracy in determining who has a bad cause of syncope. You would look at it in terms of determining if a patient has anemia. By the same token, using BNP as a catch-all for syncope is not a great way to go. We wouldn't stop checking CBCs on our syncope patients just because some study showed that it didn't have a good diagnostic accuracy. 
So does that mean we can throw out BNP as being useless simply because of these three studies? I don't think so. I think the way to go is to look at BNP in terms of its additive effect. I'm not just going to check it by itself. I'm going to get an EKG. I'm going to get a CBC. I'm probably going to get a BNP, and I'm probably going to get a troponin if I'm worried about any of those things in a patient coming in with syncope. And while individually none of those tests is going to rule out everything, combined they do at least a halfway decent job of screening for some of the more serious causes of syncope that I might be worried about. The real question we have for BNP is after we've done all of our other testing and we've ruled out those things, is BNP somehow going to be additive? Is it going to catch those patients who had a cardiac arrhythmia that I'm not going to see on any of those other tests now that the patient's back to being awake and alert? So the final study we're going to look at is a little bit different. They at least tried to include BNP as a part of a clinical decision rule. Rather than BNP as a standalone catch-all for syncope, they applied it with several other criteria to see if we combine these things together, can we come up with a rule that includes BNP that identifies all patients or a sufficient number of patients with serious adverse causes of syncope that we need to be worried about. And that study was... The ROSE Risk Stratification of Syncope in the Emergency Department Study from the Journal of the American College of Cardiology in 2010. This was a single-center prospective observational study conducted at the Emergency Department of the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh in Scotland. A derivation cohort of patients was enrolled from March 1st of 2007 to October 27th of 2007, and a validation cohort was then enrolled from October 27th to July 22nd of 2008. They enrolled patients aged 16 years or older presenting with syncope. Their endpoint was serious outcome and all-cause death at one month. Again, serious outcome is similar to what it was in the previous two studies. They determined which factors were independent predictors of this serious outcome using multiple logistic regression, and then used a decision tree analysis to identify those variables from logistic regression that, when combined, optimize the sensitivity of the resulting clinical decision rule. It should be noted here, however, that they automatically included BNP. That was their plan from the beginning. We're going to include BNP. We're not going to look at how it actually predicts outcomes using multiple logistic regression. We're just going to plug it in and then add some other things on top of it. They enrolled 529 patients in the derivation cohort and 550 in the validation cohort. After multiple logistic regression and decision tree analysis, they ended up with the final ROSE rule, which was this. BNP level greater than or equal to 300 picograms per milliliter, bradycardia less than or equal to 50 in the ED or pre-hospital, a rectal examination with fecal occult blood, anemia with a hemoglobin of less than or equal to 90 grams per liter, which would be equivalent to the U.S. value of 9 grams per deciliter, chest pain associated with syncope, an EKG showing... Q waves, and an oxygen saturation less than or equal to 94% on room air. Now in their derivation cohort, this ROSE rule had a sensitivity of 92.5% and a specificity of 73.8%. This corresponds to a positive likelihood ratio of 3.5 and a negative likelihood ratio of 0.01. That's a pretty good negative likelihood ratio, not so great positive likelihood ratio. In other words, it does a pretty good job of lowering the probability of disease if it's negative, but doesn't do a great job of raising the probability if it's positive. And that's probably what we want. In the validation cohort, the ROSE rule didn't do quite as well. Sensitivity was 87.2%, specificity 65.5%, positive likelihood ratio 2.5, and negative likelihood ratio 0.2. 
Now, there are a few problems that I have with this study. First of all, this was a convenient sample. About 35 and 40% of eligible patients in the derivation and validation cohorts were not approached for enrollment, respectively. It would seem, although it's not really specified, that the investigators who assigned the endpoints were not blinded to BNP results. Again, they automatically decided to include that in their decision rule, so they probably should have been blinded to those results. Also, I think it's odd that they decided to use BNP regardless. It's sort of like they're forcing a square peg in a round hole. Why are we automatically using BNP? Why don't we see if it works well first, or if there's some other value or test that would be better? They didn't do that. And then finally, uh, this was derived and validated at a single center in the UK. That makes it a level three clinical decision rule. It requires further validation at additional clinical sites. Again, sort of like with the San Francisco syncope rule, which did well initially when validated externally did not do so well. We run that same risk with the ROSE tool. The last thing I want to point out, one of the criteria in the ROSE rule is this positive fecal occult blood test. But it should be noted that only 13% of patients in the study actually underwent a rectal exam. So there were 87% of patients without that data available. Again, I'm not sure how you use that in your clinical decision rule when you only have that data point available for 13% of your patients. So to summarize, we basically have three studies showing that BNP alone, not surprisingly, is not that helpful when managing patients with syncope. And then we have a fourth study that looked at a new clinical decision rule, this ROSE rule, to try and use BNP along with several other criteria to determine who is at high risk of adverse outcomes. Again, turns out not that great. Uh, negative likelihood ratio of 0.2 is so-so. The rule hasn't been validated anywhere else, and there were several problems with the derivation and validation of the rule. Namely, one of the criteria was actually only looked at in about 13% of the patients, and yet somehow that was included in the final rule. I'd be interested to see if this rule is validated anywhere else, and if it is, how well it does. I have a feeling it's not going to be that great, and it's not going to be as good even as it was in the validation group in this study. So for me, I'm not going to be using BNP to evaluate patients with syncope. If I'm worried that they're having a CHF exacerbation on top of it, of course, maybe. Although even then, I'm not sure BNP is really all that great, but that's neither here nor there. As usual, thank you guys for listening in. And check out our webpage, emjclub.com. Follow us on Twitter, where we are at emjclub. Like us on Facebook, where we are also emjclub. And I hope to see you guys back next time. <laughs>